This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now, here's your host, my dad, Ryan Scott. Well, we are back to episode 57 and the last episode of season one with my good friend. Um, actually, this guy started this whole uh, shebang. Um, he is a Texan. He is a dog dad. He is a former teacher and principal, and he is the founder and CEO of the National Educators for Restorative Practices. And I'll tell you, above all that other thing, uh, here's the thing that I like the most. He is a friend. Um, I'll be I'll be honest. This guy randomly picks up the phone and calls me and just is like, you know, Ryan, I've been thinking about you. Um, I feel like I need to tell you something. And there have been multiple times through this last year where he has literally called at the exact moment that I needed somebody to talk to. And so um, I am super duper excited to um, welcome Kevin Curtis to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Kevin, thank you very much, man. I appreciate you. All right, man. Oh, wow. First of all, thanks for the intro, but absolutely. Um, you know, the timing for friendship and connections, man. Um, how we met in the middle of this pandemic and how our lives have played out is just a true representative of the, of the circle, right? And our circle coming full circle here, coming back together, right? Your last episode of the first season, one of my first episodes on my podcast. So, man, yeah. I'm just honored to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely awesome. We were uh, talking prior to hitting the record button about just how much has changed in this last year. Um, you know, this time last year, um, things were tough, um, and in, in my life with, with school and the pandemic and dealing with all of that. And I know things were, were, were tough with you on the business side. And, um, it's just so awesome the way things have kind of worked out or panned out the way they were supposed to. And so it's great to be able to end, um, on a high note, um, because literally I, you were the first person that I sat down with and you were the first person that said, Hey, I really want to listen to you. So I appreciate that before we, we, we get started. Oh man. Well, I will tell you, some people know me as the valued seen heard guy. In other words, I've heard you say it on your podcast. Say it all right? time. That's what I'm saying, man. Everyone wants to feel valued, seen and heard. So I, you know, I would tell you, Ryan, I, I just, I'm so proud of you have not only just found your voice, you found your groove, you know, your podcast is on the teach better podcast. You know, you've got great opportunities. Some of the guests, my God, you had Hamish on for your 50 episode. I've been mm -hmm. listening. So no, at the end, man, like I said, I think you are doing a fantastic job of allowing people to feel valued, seen and heard. And again, just be honored to be a guest this, on this season. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, that valued scene and heard thing, I took it to heart and I, and I, I'm serious when I say this, I literally go into every day, um, those three things for my students, for my staff, um, 
I want it um, painted in my office. Um, when I take the next step and I become a principal once again, I am definitely going to have that spray painted all over my school. Um, it's kind of kind of what I live by right now. So I appreciate you for bringing that, those three words into my uh, realm of existence. Absolutely, brother. I love All right, it. man. So are you ready to get rolling on this Big Ed Idea podcast? Oh, of course. I'm excited about this one. All right, let's do it. Okay. So the very first thing, I know you you said you've listened a couple of times. And so the first thing I like to do is just, uh, you know, let our listeners out there know what's going on in our lives. Um, Cause I don't, you know, we don't have any video, but we are absolutely just two regular dudes um, that are lucky enough to live in this education space. And so um, I always like to let the folks know just what's going on in my, in my house and then what's going on in your house. And so um, what's going on at the Scott house. Okay. So as we tape this, it is December the 12th. Um, and I'll tell you, Friday night was one of the scariest nights of my life. And I don't know, um, anybody out there, when you read this or when you hear this, excuse me, you will understand what I'm talking about. But Friday night, a line of tornadoes came through Kentucky um, and it hit about 45 minutes south of us. Um, it was extremely scary that night. We had the town of Mayfield, Kentucky, which is actually it's only 20 minutes north of where my daughter goes to college. And, and she was actually down there. And as of right now, um, I think they're looking at 50 dead. Um, I heard an update from the governor that he said in the state of Kentucky right now, we're looking at eight pages, single spaced of names of, of people that they have not been able to locate. And so this has just been, you know, I'll be honest, this has been a very heavy weekend. Um, one of the towns um, affected was Dawson Springs, Kentucky, which coincidentally about three or four of our teachers at my school actually live. And that whole town was literally wiped off the face of the earth. And, and thankfully we haven't lost anybody, but we do have uh, school employees, families that did. And, and so this has just been a very heavy weekend to ponder, you know, life and um, what we're really here for and all of that. So this has been a very heavy week weekend. So it's, it's really nice to be able to end my weekend with, um, Kevin on here that definitely always brings my um, attitude up about 20 notches. So that's what's going on over here in Western Kentucky. What is going on way down south in Texas, my friend? Well, wow. Um, man, first of all, just so glad um, that you're here to talk about what's happening in your area and so sorry to hear about the losses and everything. Um, I would tell you, I am right outside San Antonio, Texas. And it's, 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 it's interesting that you mentioned weather like that reason I say, Ryan, is I've lived here my whole life. Right. And so around San Antonio, which a lot of times I hear people move here is literally because of the lack of extreme weather. Sure. Right. In other words, the hurricanes usually die off before they get to San Antonio, the West Texas winds. We don't get as many tornadoes as, as, as West of us and in the snow from the North of us stops around the hill country in Austin. And so, you know, it's just kind of this bubble zone. Um, but just to give you some background, but I am right outside San Antonio, man, the weather has been really nice. It's been in the sixties to, you know, a little bit of chill in the air with the great sun. Uh, what's going on around my household is really literally I've been, <laughs> this is horrible <laughs> to talk about after what you just said, man, I've been playing no. golf. 
Yeah. No, I just meant like God, but I've been playing golf. I've been very blessed. Um, got a chance to play a couple rounds of golf in the last week. Um, realistically, it's just getting ready um, to just each week get our message out, right? Like it's usually preparing, like, what are we doing for the conference this week? What are we doing for uh, some trainings that are coming up? So staying connected with the educators that are in our group of circles. I mean, uh, most of my family, I, I, don't, I have a sister left here in town and, and we, we, we talk every once in a while, but for me, I don't have a lot of family and, and a lot of friends. And so what we do is, is really just stay connected and for the people and the work that we do. Uh, so I'm excited about just the opportunity to get a chance to be on a podcast. Um, I ran out to uh, my ranch. I've got 260 acres in the hill country. So it was a little therapy. So I went out there, filled feeders, watched animals, cut some brush, you know, just some, I call it therapy, just get out in the country for a while. So that's literally what I spent most of the weekend doing was just really just kind of hanging out there and getting back and then really uh, cleaning up email and getting ready for the beginning of the week uh, starting tomorrow on Monday. There you go. There you go. We uh, actually started planning. I think we're coming down. Uh, to my family's ranch out in Uvalde, well, out past Uvalde. It's um, actually in Camp Wood, right on the Nueces River. Um, my family has about 100 acres, and I think we're going to try our best to bring our daughters um, down there next summer because they've never been to Texas. My wife's never been to Texas. Um, I'm super excited to bring them and show them the ranch and show them um, jackrabbits. They've never seen jackrabbits. Um, yeah, so I'm super, super stoked to get down that way. So um, I'm telling you, I've already told Martin Silverman because uh, he's in San Antonio. So I'm telling you, too, we are all going to meet up for a couple tequilas. <laughs> Now, now you're speaking my language. All uh, right. All right. To keep the connoisseur. So now we're now we're really speaking the good language. Yeah. So can't wait to share a shot and to welcome you to Texas, man. Excellent. Excellent. So this uh, this next segment, I actually, Kevin, uh, I'll be honest, I stole it from you. Um, so when, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, educators. Well, no, you you did ask for permission. You're like, hey, on your flip five, can I do do yeah. a ver abbreviated version of doing the two? And I said, absolutely. That's exactly right. So, so those listeners out there, if you've never listened to Kevin's uh, podcast, he does. He has this awesome idea. It's called the flip five, and it's it's uh, where he asks five, and the guest asks five questions uh, to get to know each other. And and I took it from that because it really embodied my. Uh, belief of connections before content. And so I really wanted to do that, but I wanted to abbreviate it just a little bit. Um, and so that's why I came up with the two for two. And so Kevin, I've got two for you. You've got two for me. Um, I feel like I already know you, but um, let's see what, what else we can learn about each other. You got it. Let's say it. All right, man. What was your first paying job? First paying job was... I'm trying to remember. I worked for, my mom was a food stamp case worker and she uh, in the summer needed like interns okay. filing, you know, just office filing, different things like that. So um, I saved up all summer by working with her like $960 is what I worked, saved up all summer. And I bought my first car with my first paying job. And so it was literally filing all kinds of stuff, but I worked in a department of human services, food stamp office in the back, just filing and doing things, but that would be my first paid job. Well, wow. that, that actually says a lot because I think, you know, you're in the service field. So, you know, that was your first kind of foray into, um, you know, that kind of uh, service mentality. So that's, that's actually really cool to learn about you. Yeah. Um, what is the one thing that you are looking forward to doing when you retire? 
Oh my goodness. Um, if you ever retire, because I know that, <laughs> I don't think you ever will, but when yeah, you do. No, no. I, I, well, I would tell you, I mean, it, it, I gave you a glimpse of it this weekend. Like I just, I just want um, a piece of land to be able to just wake up every day um, and just look out, look at whatever, whatever that horizon provides. Right. Um, at that point, that to me would be my ultimate goal. I mean, I always, somebody always asked me one time on the show, like if I could open up another, if I had another opportunity to open up a business, I would take youth hunting. I would take, yeah. I would show youth outdoors. Right. Yeah, sure. I don't even care if it's how I would just love to have a place where youth could come out and I could just teach them and, you know, just try to keep that tradition of the outdoors campfires, you know, cut and brush, you know, just learning about what it's like to enjoy outdoors. So for me, retirement, that's what it would be about me, Sweet. some acreage. I don't even need a big house. I just, just a place to, to be able to lay my head and, and make some food and hang out. I don't know what big place, the more land, the better, the smaller the house, the better for me. That's what I'm thinking. You'd probably have 10 miniature Aussies instead of just the two. <laughs> I got three. So yes. I oh, you have three. three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got two girls and a male, but yes. So, um, but yes, I would probably have a bunch of those because they would be amazing uh, at, in an outdoor place like that. Amen. All right, Kev, what uh, questions did you bring to our table? All right, man. So the first one's going to be pretty simple. You always start shallow. But for me, all right, you work out like a phenom, man. And some form of, you do some form of exercise on a regular basis more than any other person I know. And I say that with respect and kind of envious. But at the end of the day, if you are having a cheat meal, what's going to be your cheat meal? What's your like go-to? Like the Rock has his, you know, great cheat meals. What's Ryan's great cheat meal? Ooh, okay. So- do you have cracker barrels down there? Mm-hmm. Okay. So because yeah. some of my listeners out West, they had never heard of a cracker barrel. Um, so if anybody out there is listening, cracker barrel is like, um, it's a restaurant that is kind of like Southern. Um, they have this big old gift shop that you can buy. Like, I don't know, like Southern type of stuff. Um, but all of their food is Southern food. And one of my favorite things from cracker barrel is chicken fried chicken with mashed potatoes and a double order of fried okra like that like i'm telling you if i ever open up my own movie theater i'm getting getting rid of popcorn and we're doing fried okra interesting okay so that is is a very interesting cheat meal like three thousand calories oh yeah 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 no. And see what's what I don't have around here. There are some in Texas, but not around here is a Waffle House. Oh, yeah. 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 So covered in smothered hash browns, man. Yeah. So that's what I'm Ooh. trying to say. Like, so for me is my like go to like when I go see a Waffle House, even if I'm in like when I almost hooked up with you and I flew, flew into Nashville, I saw yeah, a Waffle yeah. House. I'm like, hey, I got to stop. I don't have any in San Antonio and you'd have to go to North Austin, Houston or Dallas to get them. So for me, Waffle House is, yeah, I know exactly. It's And I'm a breakfast person. So that would be good. Um, I'm not an ochre person. So that's. So don't condemn me. But you're like, I'm still going to need some popcorn at the movies. Ochre is not going to do it for me. All right. Your second question is simple. This. Um, Thinking about a movie or a series or something that you thoroughly like enjoyed, right? A movie or a series, it doesn't matter because again, streaming is such a big platform. But if you could change the ending to a movies or a series, which which series or movie that you'd be like, God, I wish that ending was not that way. Ooh. Okay, so I'm gonna take it back. 
Um, and I say old school, but it's not really old school when you're 40 years old. It's just like 10 years ago, which still isn't that old school. But for some of our listeners, it might be when they were like 10. Um, so my oldest daughter and I, um, this was when it was just her and me. Our Sunday night routine was she'd do her bath and then we'd sit down and we'd watch Lost. Um, and we really got into the Lost series so much. So I probably watched it four different times. Um, and if anybody out there lost, so it started really cool. And then it started getting really out there, way out there. And the end of it, the end of the series, I, don't, I hate to give it away for anybody, but the end of the series just ended really, really, really out in left field. Um, totally didn't, didn't see it coming. I would not have done the way they did it. Um, but Hey, I mean, I, I stuck around for all of the episodes, so I guess, you know, they got their money's worth. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I hear you. Um, you know, I think I hear a lot of people. I, I love you in this question because it tells me it reveals a lot about what people watch and sure. what they would think. Sure. Um, but I've heard a lot. I heard a lot of Game of Thrones and I came late into Game of Thrones and got caught oh, yeah. up with it. That's a good one. That's a good one. But if I could change a movie ending, it would be The Green Mile with John Coffey. Yes. You know, I, I would like to have a little bit different ending for John Coffey, but um, that would be a movie, man. So that's my two for two, brother. All right. Well, thank you. Now, I know a little bit more about you. Um, I know your first paying job um, when people actually used physical files and not a Google Google files. You know, um, we've pretty much at our school, we've done away with file folders and now it's all online, um, which, you know, we're old, so we can do that. So, um, OK, my friend, I love this next question because it tells me so much about folks. Um, and, I, and I've heard you give this answer before. Uh, we've talked about this before, but my listeners out there don't or haven't heard this from you. So um, let everybody out there know, how did education find Kevin Curtis? Um, it started me in elementary, actually. My elementary teacher, Debbie Bagby. Um, in fact, I just finally talked to her, Ryan. After oh, very 40, cool. 40 years, 40 years. Finally talked to her after 40 years. Just had a phone with her about less than three weeks ago. But I did an episode on mine where I did a teacher appreciation and I did a little shout out to her and I tried to get people to listen to her. I She finally heard it here like three weeks ago. That's so but funny. Debbie Bagby like let me work with students when I was younger. And if I got my work done efficiently and effectively, I could go work with other kids, younger kids. And, and it just really taught me like, so is this what it's like to help other kids be successful? Sure. And she said, yeah. And I, and I said, is that what it's like for you? And she said, yeah. And I said, oh my God, I want to be a teacher. But so there was, there was many teachers, but Debbie like planted the seed and then it just kind of grew from there. Um, and when I graduated, when I, by the time I got to a senior in high school, I knew not only did I want to be a teacher, I wanted to be a coach because coaches had such a huge influence on who I was as a person. Uh, my parents did the best that they could, but ultimately, if I really look back at it, a big part of how I'm shaped with my ethics, my morals, my accountability, all of those came from coaching and being an yeah. athletic. So yeah. for me, you know. it really, it really was of like, I want to be an educator. And then I was like, Ooh, I want to be an educator and I can coach and I love yeah, sports. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it really, those two things naturally just kind of drew me into education And it. To me, there wasn't really a doubt 
Um, I had had many kinds of little jobs and before, but at the end, like education was the place. It was like a magnet. It just drew me in and, and to the playing field and to the classroom. I saw both of them as so impactful, but in two different ways, right? In the classroom, I could teach science or I could, I could teach speech or health or whatever I taught. And then I could really mold and shape and get to know kids and really put them on paths. And then on the field, I can really help them and show them how life is almost a parallel to athletics and how we handle adversity and grow and mature and those types of things. And the relationships that I would build with my student athletes over the years were just profound. So to me, it's exactly where I wanted to be. Um, education finding me and drawing me in through from elementary teachers to middle school teachers to high school teachers and coaches and then eventually just guiding me down I just didn't know what I wanted to teach until I really got into teaching so it was a very linear path like you knew for the most part that's what what you needed to do so the only thing I will tell you just briefly, in the middle of my senior year in college, uh, last semester of college, um, middle of student teaching, like the finish line is <laughs> right there. Um, I had a horrible breakup with my fiance and let's just call, I don't, I can't even at that point in my life, I can't call it a midlife, an early life kind of crisis unraveling. And I, I left school, I walked away from college. I moved to Colorado for a year, uh, got into bull riding, um, got into sheet metal insulation. I totally went off on a tangent, met another person to start whatever. So I took this side jag. So when you say it was linear, it was very linear until, <laughs> until yeah, then went lateral. And then after one year, I was like, okay. And then after yeah. I took this year of metamorphosis of just doing different things, but came back. And then once I got back on that path, then it was literally like, okay, I don't know how I kind of lost focus, but yeah, literally I was, and then I had to come back and re-student teach for a second time, had to do these things all over again. And then ultimately I got to graduate. And I, when I was graduating also, they also said, Hey, you're one foreign language away. And I was like, Ooh. this is like, it, now understand how that happen. Now, here's the deal, Ryan. It took me seven and a half years to finish college. So I was bartending on the Riverwalk in San Antonio. I have a daughter at 21. I start bartending at 19. Um, I'm like, I don't finish. I'm like, I'm not teaching until I'm 27. So at this point, I had like all of these things. But for me, you know, I had had. So when you say linear, I think, yes. But there were so many things of having a child, you know, and then having this going on in your life and then that going on in your life. But how it ended up with a foreign language, I had taken so much high school Spanish and then I clipped out a nine hour Spanish in, in Texas at college. But yeah. that was equivalent to the amount of years I took in high school. So basically it zeroed out. Somehow uh, I didn't have the best advisor. And by the time I went to graduate and they did my audit, they were like, oh, you're foreign language cancels. You're going to have to take another foreign language. So I said, well, I haven't had Spanish in seven plus years. Not that I don't use it, but you don't use it enough and you lose it. And so all of a sudden I found myself in a, either a junior, senior, a junior, senior, upper class, like 3000 level junior, uh, like Spanish class where it's all Spanish, no English whatsoever, or German 101. Brecken die Deutsch. Let's go. We're in so New Braunfels. Uh, yeah. So what was crazy is I would teach all, I would student teach all day. And then what twice a week, I would go to a, a German 101 beginner with a lot of beginner, you know, and I was, but, but yeah. So anyways, sorry, but yeah, I graduated oh. seven and a half years um, taking and then redoing student teaching twice. 
uh, after walking away from it for the first time and then coming back here and then just realizing, okay, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. And, and just started teaching and coaching. And, and to me, that's, I knew where I was at. I just didn't know how, what, what levels I wanted to do it at. And I only graduated with speech and health or uh, sorry, PE, PE, not even health. And the other thing about my advisor, I was realized I was zero marketability. Like <laughs> I was very naive and thought like, all right, I'm going to get out and get a PE job. Yeah, where are you going to get that at? Yeah, right. right. Like those are the Willy Wonka gold tickets. These are the yeah. ones that people waiting in line for somebody to die or retire. Yeah. Right. So I got into, I went to job lines and, you know, these job fairs and I stood in line with like 12,480 other two people that were looking for PE jobs and realized like, I better do something. So I, I was living in Seguin, which is just Southeast of San Antonio. And I drew a 60 mile radius and I started calling and going and reviewing, interviewing at all the schools that were around there. And I found a school in Yorktown, Texas, which was 52 miles away, was the only school that would hire me as PE out the gate. So I took it and I drove 52 miles every day yep. for a year. Yep. And uh, But once you get certified in Texas, you can take other tests. So therefore, I took speech and health and biology and a bunch of – then I got some teaching fields underneath me. But I spent most of my career in 10 years in the classroom teaching integrated physics and biology to kids for high school science. Right on, man. That's what I love. You know, that's what I love the most about you. Um, our life story is eerily similar. Um you know, we've talked about this before. I didn't start teaching until I was 27. Um, didn't graduate till I was 27. Took me almost 10 years to graduate. I had a child early. I bar bartended. Um, I did all of that stuff. Um, and, and, that, and I'll tell you, that's what I really, I just love that. I love that story that we have in common because I think it, I think we have a, how do I say, a different perspective maybe because we've seen life outside of the education field a little bit. Um, and so we, we really have a, a, a good perspective of where our like parents are coming from and um, community and all of that stuff. So, man, I, I appreciate that. Um, let's go on to that next one. What do you think, what does Kevin Curtis, cause we're going to start to move toward this big ed idea thing. Um, you know, you've been in this game for a while. Uh, taught 10 years, uh, I think, what, 25, 30 years you've been in education overall? 23, actually. This is 23. 23, 23. Okay. yep. Okay, so you have obviously seen quite a bit, and you've seen the tide shift and or come back or whatever. But what do you see right now as the problem in education or a problem in education? <laughs> I was about to say, whoa, <laughs> uh, this show's that long. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think there's – there. I mean – Obviously, there are so many layers to what's going on in education. Um, it's in, in it's it's like almost every day on social media we get another post or a blog or a blog or something that just unfortunately breaks my heart because yeah. where we're at in education is nowhere where we need to be at. Um, when you look at it in parallel, you know, as when I say this, I say this with all due respect, but like education has never been okay. Yeah. But unfortunately, I think what's happening is, is people are like, oh, wow, like teachers have always struggled to to get their job done effectively during the work hours and to be paid to be paid adequately where they should be in, 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 in correlation to all the other professions. Right. So there's all those things. I, I, I believe that one of the things that we have to deal with, as you mentioned earlier, we were joking about, hey, I'm 40 and just 10 years ago. 
I think the progression of the way that education starts to extend away from the adults and the way that we're able to still connect with kids and see where they're at. Like, I believe accountability is a huge thing that's missing in parents, society, and in schools, right? So for me, there's a lot of layers of accountability. There's a lack of connection. Uh, there's a lack of ownership of our own responsibilities um, when we're in the school system. I believe that leadership in itself is what happens, I, I really say this, and, and some people on my team who have been at central office hate me when I say this, but, or hate when I say this, but like sometimes great educators get to central office and then some very leadership positions. And like, I swear there's a lobotomy. They take yeah. the, that, that common core educator person who was connected at the campus and it just disappears. And I, the more I work with schools, the more sometimes I, I, I just have to try to recognize that leaders are so disconnected from the top to the bottom that what they're requiring, what they're asking of teachers and what they're asking of within the system. You know, I put it this way. If everybody literally and I say this with literalness, like if everybody literally had a battery flashing like your phone does. I mean, when our phone flash, phone flashes or something's going down on our social media or like we plug it in. Right. And what's happening is, is I just don't think people in education and people outside of education can truly see how many batteries are flashing. Yeah. And if we, if we could literally see it as a flashing lit up battery, like this entire world, but particularly let's just stick in the, in, the, in North America, the United States, right. That, that how many, right? In Kentucky, these lights are just flashing, right? Of these educators that are just barely getting anything to, to, to recharge them. And then they got to show up the next day and you're like, oh my God. And if I was a principal, I could see my staff. If I could just see their battery levels at the beginning of the day, some may start off a little bit more, but how quickly are they zapped, right? It doesn't take much now at this point. And I think in education over the last two decades, we were able to sustain a power charge a little bit longer than normal. Like if people say, what is it about educators? Like we're, we're difference driven. Like we want to make impacts. Like we don't want to make money. We want to make an impact. And I think what happens is, is, is they don't realize that it just takes that one comment, that one phone call, that one post-it note, that one kid, whatever it is like that, that I don't think people realize how much that recharges our battery. Absolutely. And, yes, our sure. and, and so for us, we're this very unique person who doesn't require money, who doesn't require fame, who doesn't require, we, we need those moments where those pieces come to us and show us the impact and we can feel it and we can sense it and we can touch it and those types of things. And I think what's missing in education is, is we were already in education prior to this pandemic already flashing on a regular basis. We were already requiring teachers to do too much with too little and batteries were going home flashing and yet we were still okay with that. Yeah. Now I think everything has just been sped yeah. up. Yeah. Our batteries, it's kind of like, you know, if you have an iPhone long enough, if you hold on to it, right, eventually your battery doesn't hold the charge long enough. So this is the equating the educators. We're just running on old batteries, right? We're running on the same educator batteries and nobody has come into the pandemic and said, wait, we can't run the same phone. We can't run the same device. We can't run the same people with the same expectations 
And the, and not only that, but they've doubled, right? Some have to teach in a hybrid, some have to people this, some have to do that. Like we didn't lower the amount of energy we're drawn on our phones or our devices or people, we increased it. Yeah, we sure did. And so, so at this point, like I'm scratching my head going, do you not see this, right? What we're doing. And yet you're wondering why your teachers are not showing up. Why substitute teachers are not showing up. Why bus drivers, like, why is there a shortage and why are people threatening to leave? Or why are people leaving? Because what's happening is, is we're no longer getting that impact. We're not getting that, that, that charge from the impact. We don't feel the impact anymore. If anything, it gets canceled out by the other things and all the other noise and all the other different types of energy systems that get in the way. We, we, if we could truly just get back to education and recognize, yes, we want to be compensated. Yes, we need to be able to make a living. But at the end of the day, if people just get over our way and just let us make a difference, I think we could change education. Yeah, I've heard you've said this before, and I actually it's another thing I've stole from Kevin Curtis. Um, if we are teaching using the 90s playbook, um, you've, you've said that multiple times, and, and I've definitely grasped that. Um, and, and I actually said that the other day uh, in an admin meeting that um, the things that worked when we were in college, if, if, if our schools look like they do, like they did when we were in school, um, we're doing something wrong. Um, because society has fundamentally changed. Um, what last week, the um, some guy in the government, and I, I knew it, and now I can't think of it, released a, uh, oh, Surgeon General released the big, uh, basically it was a warning, warning about mental health of our youth. And, you know, we've probably always struggled with some of that stuff, but it's at a, it's at a pandemic level now. And kind of like you're saying, our teachers are being tasked to literally do everything now. Raise the kid, mold the kid, teach the soft skills, all of that stuff. And like you said, nothing's being taken off of their plate. Um, so my friend, that kind of leads us into your big end idea because I'm super, super stoked to talk about this. Um, so if our, if our people are burning out, and, you know, we have less and less people replacing the, the folks retiring and we have um, just more, you know, I hear a lot about teacher burnout and that kind of thing. Talk to us about what your big ed idea is. My big ed idea is really very simple and, and, and very minimalizing when I say it like this. It's not the answer. So let me just preface okay. it with that. Okay. It's not the answer. My approach for working in this um, restorative relationship business for, since 2012 and 2015 full-time, all my idea is simply this, relationship-centered learning. I developed the concept with, with the idea of understanding this. One, how do we put relationships back at the center of learning? But in, an, but in addition, I think what also, as far as my big idea to just kind of compound it is during my podcast and at the and during the pandemic what i noticed ryan was a lot of people were really heavily leaning over to social emotional learning uh, equity diversity mental health all the things and i want to make this very clear about my big idea i am not nor saying we don't need any of those things to be addressed in education what i've questioned leaders in education is saying as you're grabbing these initiatives of social, emotional, equity, diversity, 
mental health, all of these initiatives, which are much needed in education. But as you're grabbing them, please understand that all of those come in a content of a curriculum format, right? So you're going to grab an SEL lesson, you're going to grab an equity, diversity, you're going to talk. And all I've said was, is I said, lesson-based curriculums blend relationships. They don't build relationships. So not competing with SEL or equity or diversity, there's nobody in front of it. So when you look at it, what I'm creating is my big idea is what if we could put relationship-centered learning in front of all of your initiatives, including content? Yep. So, you know, you, 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 you've jumped on that hashtag. You use it a lot, connections before content. Now, mine is connects with a B and a four, right? And if you go to TWUBS, I actually have the registered hashtag for that. That's our registered hashtag. Under oh. TWUBS, we kind of own that. So we're a huge connections before content. So everybody says it, Ryan, but my big idea is how do we put this in place, right? Yeah. How do we do this? So, and what's crazy is, is that I'm not crazy and I know how to do this because this is what we do in schools, right? How do we put relationships first? Because every time I ask a school leader or a teacher, anyone in education, hey, how do you truly have, how do you break down that lesson and have a true, honest connection conversation about equity, diversity, or a student's social emotional needs if we don't even know each other? That's exactly right. Right. But what's happened, Ryan, is, is almost every, from superintendents to director of student support services, anyone, they all go, huh, I never really thought about that. And I said, I know, because we're very reactive in nature. I get it. But what we do is we react. Oh, we need our social emotional needs of our students. They haven't been here for sex and experience uh, an extended period of time. Absolutely. But what we fail to recognize, just like we failed in content for all those years, thinking about scores and accountability is, well, what's going to make a big lesson, right? So. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me put it into perspective. I do an activity every time we do a training, and it's very simple. We ask teachers, when you think of the most outstanding teachers that stand out for you, I don't want a list of five, four, three. I want one. What's the one word or one phrase that makes those teachers stand out the most? Everybody writes it on a post-it note. I have everybody share it around, right? And what's crazy, Ryan, is it's every single time with 100% accuracy, nobody ever mentions content or curriculum is why the teacher that spit out the most. And I do that because my niche is actually using people's words against themselves. Because when you reveal that, I'm like, where's content or curriculum? Right. And they just kind of look around the room, right? And that's what I tell them. I'm not here to tell you content and curriculum is not important. That's not the message I'm right. sending. To right, you. right. So I want to make this very, very clear. And, and usually I'll have a, you know, a, a person of professional development or a curriculum person in the room. And I'm like, so don't get offended. I'm not trying to say that you're not important. What I'm trying to say is listen what the data said. Every single person in this room chose caring, kind, compassionate. You know, they were real. They were funny. Um, they just shared, they cared about me. All of these things, right? I said, what we're missing is those aspects of teaching not put before you bring me that content or curriculum. So in my idea is relationship-centered learning is just giving you tools on how do you put relationships before content? How do you put relationships before social emotional learning? Right. How do you put relationships before equity and diversity? Because just like when you say, hey, Kevin, you know, I, 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 I stole the, the flip five to the, to the two. <laughs> and again, the whole concept, Ryan, is, is, is with our guests, we want to connect with you at a personal right. level. Every so that it's not just an interview. So th this, this, this is why I say this is not rocket science. This is not a, a brilliant, creative idea of a brand new software or anything else. Uh, 
connections and relationships have been in part of education since the Greeks. It's been, it's, it's historically what every, and if I get in front of educators and I say, how many of you believe relationships and connections are like the foundation of life? And they'll be like, absolutely. And I show them a graphic of a big bodybuilder guy with big tops and no legs. Right. I'm like, then how come isn't the foundation? Because what in school happens is, is our bodybuilding comes from content and curriculum and, and social emotional. And so equity and diversity, we're putting all of that on top of teachers. And then we're asking them, but yet in the same breath, we're saying relationships and connections are the foundation. Well, then where are the reps for your legs? <laughs> but, and then where are the conversations? Where are the pieces that we're building that as a strength, as a core muscle to be able to say, hey, I can put content, equity, diversity, social, emotional. I can put anything on a teacher who has a strong foundation of connections and relationships. So it's such a simple thing, but teachers and educators and principals and leaders, they don't know how to do that. Because what's happening out there is every other form that talks to you about how do you put relationships first? Let's just call it that, right? My concept and my big idea is relationship-centered learning. My goal is, is I want schools one day to not only say, do you have an SEL coach? I want them to say, do you have an RCL coach? Yep. Do you, are you doing RCL? I want every school, I want to I want to leave a trimmer effect on this entire world that schools, when, after I leave this world, that are going, hey, are you doing RCL? RCL started back in 2021 in the pandemic, right? It's about how we put relationships first. But here's what happens is that teachers get told, don't forget to connect with kids. Hey, don't forget to build those relationships with kids, right? They get, we get told this in education, but check this out. Nobody ever tells us how. Nobody shows us, nobody tells us, nobody breaks it down. So what I did is through my restorative practices and the proactive community building is I built six proactive tools to help build and sustain a relationship. Because I think that's the other part is, is we build a relationship by doing something at the beginning of the year or something when we come back for Christmas break. But we don't talk about how do we sustain those relationships? Because ultimately, when you look at the teachers that stood out, they didn't just care about us once. They cared about right. us all the time. Right, right, right. So, so now I got to come into a school and I got to get you to build and sustain relationship. I got to get you to understand the why, but I got to get you to understand the how. And we built six tools and three of them take less than two minutes. So a 60 second relate break, a two minute connection and a 90 second spark plan. I can literally help teachers develop an outcome of building relationships, student to student, student to teacher and teacher to student. That's what I call cross connecting. So my, my big idea has a direct outcome. Well, Kevin, what is your outcome of your tools? Well, I want to build community student to student, student to teacher, teacher to student. So I don't care if you're doing the brown bag activity or two truths and a lie. I don't care how you're building relationships. Are you cross connecting? Are you giving opportunities for students to students connect? students to teachers to connect and teachers to students. If you're not truly building, building that in full compass of those three, then ultimately you're not building community, you're allowing people to connect. And to me, those intentionalities are what sets our tools apart. And I cannot tell you how many principals have said for 20 years, I have told teachers the importance of relationships. What you brought to my staff today was the how. Yeah. And it hit me. I've been in education for over two decades. No one ever taught us how to build a relationship and not in a very structured, organized way. And definitely would not three tools that can take less than two minutes. You know, I'll tell you the, the, I, and I say this all, I say this literally every day. Um, and, and maybe it's because of my background as, as a bartender. And I know this is going to sound 
weird, but, but hang in there with me. So as a bartender, you kind of, your money is, 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 uh, based on how well you can connect with your customers sitting around the bar, you know? And so I have always struggled with kind of like you're saying, like I, I build relationships with my students very easily. Um, it, I don't really know what I do. I don't really know the secret sauce, but I can pretty much sit down and I can form a relationship with any kid K through 20. Um, and we're, we're just going to have a good relationship. Um, I've got great relationships at my high school with kids that quite honestly don't like anybody else and make it very well known. Um, and, but then it's very hard to get people to learn how to do that. And that, I think that's exactly what you are saying. And sometimes as a leader, it's frustrating when people don't know how to build relationships, especially for somebody that it kind of just, and I don't want this to sound like, like I'm tuning my horn or anything, but it just comes naturally, you know? So I, I do think there's a lot of value in what you are saying, because yes, we know relationships are the center. I would say every educator would, would believe that. But you're right. Not everybody knows how to do it. So, so what you just said, right? It's not, I don't challenge people. I don't challenge their belief. What I, what I challenge and what I'm challenging education is, is step up and let's do what you say you believe. Right. Right. Because I don't walk in, even, even people in central office that I kind of throw a little shade at, like, they'll come in and say relationships are connecting important. But here's where we're lost. And let me let, let me do a little, let me add a little clarity to this. You just mentioned, like I am, sometimes when you're naturally gifted with this, then you're 10 steps ahead of everybody else. And the hard part, Ryan, is when you're 10 steps ahead of everybody else and you turn around, and here's interesting. If it was a kid, you would go, oh, well, they don't know. But see, yeah. you're seeing other adults who graduated from college, who have degrees and blah, 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 this, who've gone the same path you have, and they chose this path predominantly. So therefore, you're questioning in your mind, like, why can't these people do what I do? Sure. And that's where I, so here's what I say. When you look at our staff, about, let's just say, 10 to 15% of your staff, if you're lucky, are what I call the rock stars, right? These are the people that naturally are gifted, that know how to do this. They don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to write it down for you. Right. This is just right. what I do, right? So if I did, if I did whatever, I can't, I would be like, well, this is what I do. And if somebody tried to replicate it, but if you didn't have it, I call it it, right? You would, they, they would be like, well, that didn't work for me. And you're like, well, I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. You have yeah. it. So if you're lucky, maybe anywhere from 10 to 15, if you're lucky, even 20% of your staff have that. Well, let's just keep it real in education. There's about 10% of your staff, Ryan, that, I don't know how they ended up in education and I'm not condemning them, but there's about 10% of your staff that's not going to do anything, no matter what, they're there for a completely different reason. I just want to acknowledge their existence. So then let's look at about the 70% gap in the middle. Most educators, and here's what I learned about working with adults the last five years consistently, six years, is working with adults, educators are want to make an impact and they want to do a great job. That 70%, Ryan, is as simple as this. Tell me what to do. And I'll do it. No, right. But here's the problem, Ryan. Think about it. And I'm not trying to toot my horn here, right? But I have now that I look back at it, I can I can look at capturing kids' hearts, love and logic, conscious discipline, even social emotional learning, right? Like I'm not competing nor putting any one of those down. Every single piece 
on the continuum has a place that works well with adults and works for kids, right? But what happens is, is that, again, they just tell me what to do. Not all of them tell you exactly what to do. Right. Or if they do, they're going to be a lesson. So you're going to grab an SEL lesson and you're going to say, we're going to be talking about empathy yeah. today. You're going to read this and it's going to say, take this many minutes to show this video or look at this, this page or read this story or whatever it is. So now you're going with a lesson. I don't have a problem with the lessons, but listen to what my quote is, right? Lesson-based curriculums blend relationships. They don't build them. So what they're saying is, is the same thing that a math teacher says when you said, hey, we're going to take a math problem. But before we get to that math problem, we're going to say, what's your favorite pizza? Oh, my favorite kind of pizza is this. All right. Well, all right. We're going to take this pizza divided by this many students and how many slices we come in. So now what they convince themselves is, is see, we just got to know each other because we know what kind of pizza we like. But we really ultimately what we did is, is we hit a math problem within that. You blended that together. Yep. What I'm saying is, is when you blend relationships, right, it gets watered down. I don't know if it's genuine. I don't know if it's authentic. Oh, you just snuck that in there because you wanted to figure out if I knew that in the math. So what happens is, right. So for me, I look out there and I've I've looked up and down and left and right. When I look out there, I don't see any other tools that are non-lesson-based curriculum. Our tools are not lesson-based. They're GTKY, which is just get to know you. So for us, we're relationship building at its simplest level. What, you know, where do you like to eat? What do you wanna do? Hey, what pizza never goes on a topic? What do you like ice cream? If I talk to you about those types of things, and in fact, I think if you, like, if I could give you the best example, Joe Beckman, who's like my first episode of my podcast, he talked about his nerdy science teacher coming every weekend, and he didn't like science, but you know what he enjoyed every weekend? He talked about what he did this weekend. He played the guitar. He rode his motorcycle. He just told these things, and they said they really got to know this teacher. And so Joe mentioned something that I always share at my trainings. He said, teachers are too busy trying to be extraordinary, because that's that's what we need to be, right? Education pushes us to be extraordinary. They just don't be ordinary. And it's when you're ordinary, it's not when you're reading an SEO curriculum or an equity or a diversity lesson. You're ordinary when I'm just plain old Mr. Curtis, and I'm not asking you to not be the adult. I'm not asking you to not have control. I'm, not, I'm asking you to just be ordinary. Be real. Get, be real, right, kids? Keep it 100. You can all, whatever that is for you, be real, be ordinary, don't be extraordinary, and just connect with the kids. And they're like, I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, simple. Then I'm going to give you four. I'm going to give you three tools to know how to do that. And then so like, for example, on a 60 second light break, you're going to give a question. And like, for example, that one we did earlier, what's a movie or a show that you would love to send the, the, change the ending to, right? I'm going to put a timer on for 60 seconds, Ryan, and I'm not going to talk. I'm going to walk around and just listen to my kids' conversations. Then when I get done, when the timer goes off, I am going to share what movie or series I'd like to end. And then, you know what, we're going to, after we talk about that, we're going to go on to the next part of our lesson. And teachers are like, whoa, that's just so simple. And I'm right. It's an eavesdropping activity. It's called turn and talk. It's a 60 second relate break. What does it do? It gets students connecting with other students. You connecting with them and them connecting with you. So when I look at it, I've got these such, but they're so structured and organized and they're all GTKY based and they all use a timer. So therefore, when you use a timer, all of a sudden I'm not down that rabbit hole when they're like, you know, oh, oh yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. like, can we get back to the conversation, right? So what I love about this approach is, is what schools say, you, ha- you have the answer. 
a school in Madera, California came to my training and after 90 minutes, she said, she on the break, she said, you have what I don't have. She said, we can talk alternatives to suspension. We can talk about repairing harm in this restorative arena. We don't have what you have. And that is, to me, building tools that are not lesson-based curriculum. They're not about community building circles. I'm in the restorative business. I'm not against circles, but circles are like the elephant of restorative practices. They open up a lot of trauma conversations. They take a big time, big space. She goes, you have simple, simplistic tools that are very organized, structured, and methodical that teachers can use in a classroom to build relationships. And I said, yes, ma'am. And th those were built out of necessity, Ryan, because what was happening is in the restorative arena, all I was using was circle, 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 circle. And I developed and I started going to schools and I started seeing how circle for me, I was like you, but I was 20 steps ahead of everybody. I did. I was the first school in the state of Texas to pilot restorative practices as a whole school approach. So therefore, I spent three years like getting amazing at circles. I could teach them. I could break it down. I could circle with anybody. I could take angry parents. I could take disgruntled kids. I was amazing at that, right? Got to be able to put that, uh, got to put that experience in the first book of restorative discipline practices and got to publish a chapter in a book telling what those are. So I was 20 steps ahead of everybody. But then you go into a school where I is and you try to teach a first, uh, when I say not a first year teacher, but a teacher for the first time, right. let me teach you what a circle is. And they're like, oh, when am I supposed to do that? Oh, well, you got to rearrange your furniture and whatever. And they just, so right now you've already disconnected Lost with something. Then, so then all of a sudden I started teaching circles, but it wasn't successful. And so I started going, wait a minute, everything that was successful for me is not being successful. Like I can't duplicate this and I can't replicate this. And what I'm asking teachers to do now that I'm in their shoe is I'm like, wait a minute, I got to go back to step one. Holy cow, this is too heavy. This is too much. So the first thing I did with circles is I changed the circles. I got rid of centerpieces and value rounds and openings and closings because there was like seven steps to a circle. That was already overwhelming. Taking too long, it. yeah. So then I said, I got it simple. But then I broke it down and I said, that's still not enough. You, we've got to be able to scaffold teachers and we've got to be able to have teachers crawl before they can walk and walk before they can run. Circle is like running. 10, 10, if I came to train your staff, Ryan, 10 to 15% of your staff who have it can run. They're going to like, ooh, I love this. I can do this. 10% of your staff's not going to do anything. Then 60, 70, 80% of your staff's going to look at you and go, when do you want me to do this? How am I supposed to do this? So I, I went to training for a few hours. So what happens when a kid says this? What happens when this happens, right? There's no way you could adequately prepare for those conversations because there's so many layers to it. But if I said, what if I said, get out of a circle, sit and have a conversation and just get to know you now in, in the questions you pick are safe. The questions you pick as a teacher Keep it shallow-ended. The questions you pick are escalating energies. You don't ask debatable questions. So now all of a sudden you're asking good, healthy questions to get to know you and use these tools and these structures. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm getting to know my kids. And you're like, wow, and the kids are getting to know you. And they're getting to know each other. Before you know it, we're able to talk about empathy or equity or diversity or any of those other things, just like we can talk about math or science in a way, because you're no longer standing at the front of the room presenting information to me. You literally connect with me and care about me. That's exactly right. So is this, so is this a, is this an idea that could be used, let's say at the high school level, like during uh, like I'm thinking what I'm thinking right now. Um, I've read 
several books on high-performing high schools. And every high-performing high school I've ever read about has a very strong advisory program or a very strong advisory period. So have you seen this approach being used at the high school level? Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I'm a, I'm a secondary person. Yeah, right. right? So the heart, let's just, let's just acknowledge this and whether, my, whether your listeners agree or not, but the high school is the least fertile soil to put a relationship-centered approach first. The elementary is the most fertile yeah, soil. Yeah, sure. So, so let's just talk about this, right? So at the high school, what we're driven is because we're, again, content um, scores, ACT, SAT, college prep, right? So the first thing you have to do is, is we've got it, like tilling the soil is like, tilling rock is, is like tilling a concrete, right? Like you, there's nothing to till over because we have our own biases, our own beliefs, our own ideas, the system set up for these kids to go in this path. So the first thing you got to do is turn some of that rock and, and soil over to even adapt, to be able to d- like jump into this concept to begin with. But yes. So could you do this? I do this all the time at the secondary high school level. The, the, the one, the, the one part that I have to navigate which, and Ryan, don't take this personal, but you just you just acknowledge what most people do. Oh, well, I'll do this during advisory. Great. I, I promise you, you will have amazing advisories. So what happens during science? Yeah. What happens during social studies, right? Good point. So, and the reason I'm telling you is, and I'm not condemning you, I'm just saying this is what you do. Every single person says, so how do I bring that relationship approach into an advisory? Oh, I have one school district that added, added 10 minutes to third period, right? And then they use my tools for the last 10 minutes of third period. I'm like, how's third period? They're like, great. I'm like, perfect. And that, what about the rest of the class? They're like, yeah, right. oh, they're all Because like, <laughs> so this is where our brain does. We naturally try to figure out so how do I bring this in a non-instructional format? And that's why I'm laughing, right? Because that's that's where we miss. My big idea is to stop trying to navigate. And the first thing you do is to try to navigate around relationships and either extending or, or putting one class in period in it. If this needs to be done heterogeneously in every single classroom and every single school, and not just in the format of a morning meeting and not just in an advisory, like every single teacher in every single classroom needs to be able to take two minutes and think about it. Now, if you ask me how often would do this, I would do it every day, yeah. two yeah. minutes every single day, because what you have to recognize is two minutes here, two minutes here, two minutes there. I want you to imagine one month from now, if we connected to each other for two minutes every single day for the next month, how do you not know each other better? Exactly if your right. question, if your questions are appropriate. So part of it is, is we also train, how do you pick good GTKY questions? You got to pick age appropriate. You got to show kids TikTok videos. You got to, sh- if this high school, you got to make it relevant to them. It's got to be visual. It can't just be a question all the time. Like there are ways to pull in their interest. But at this point, if you get them talking to each other and talking to you and you talking to them for two minutes, non-instructional, so the hardest part is I tell them you have to disconnect from academics for two minutes. They're like, whoa, well, <laughs> Ryan, you're a school leader. So I'm going to tell you that. No, I know. But here, no, no. So here's what happened is, do you know why they don't have time for that? Because most leaders don't tell them they have time for that. Sure. There's a phrase. I would say there's power and permission. When I get done training a staff earlier in my career, I didn't understand this later. Now, when I get done, if I come to your school, when I get done, the principal, not the assistant principal, 
The assistant principal can take you to the red zone, but can't take you to the end zone. The print, you know, like the principal of the staff who can move this group more than anyone else has to stand in front of this group and say, I give you permission to go back into your classroom and to utilize these tools in every way that you need to. If I walk into your room and you're connecting with kids, I'm going to go from evaluate to participate. I'm going to sit down with my laptop. I'm going to put that up and I'm going to join your two minute connection or your 60 second relay prayer. I don't want the deer in the headlights. We've got to deprogram our teachers to stop panicking when a leader walks in and we're not teaching. And in fact, I, I learned that a lot of teachers hate this phrase, right? We should uh, teach from bell to bell. What teachers hear is content from bell to bell. Oh, right. What I how I rephrase it, Ryan, is learning should occur from bell to bell. When the kids are coming in, we're high-fiving, we're doing check-ins, right? So our emotional inventory, our pulse meter is when Still kids learning. are coming they're still learning. I, so, so that's what I'm saying. Teachers need to get away from this connotation that I've got to be teaching content. I just need learning, learning about what subject or learning about what you did this weekend, learning about how you're coming in socially, emotionally, learning about what you what your topping never goes on pizza. That's learning. So learning can occur. And then what some teachers do is they say, I don't have time. Time is the number one obstacle that I typically hear. So not only can I proactively build these in, check this out. Every single teacher I know is effective and efficient as you are. Let's just use an average of a 45-minute class just as an even number, right? 45 minutes. A lot of times, if you, particularly in secondary, when you teach throughout the day, you get better and better. If you have good class, like you can narrow that down that before you know it, you got anywhere from two to five minutes at the end of the lesson because it went really well, sure. very smoothly, whatever that is, right? I call that the disconnect zone. That disconnect zone is where all of a sudden we disconnect and you can get on your phones, we can decompress, whatever it is, but it's the least amount of intentional learning is going on that time. So how do I go from disconnect time to connect time, right? Well, all I got to do is have a GTKY question up on my board and go, hey, we finished and we've got four minutes left, right? Let's go ahead and do a 60 second relay break or a two minute connection. And let's just use this question to guide our conversation today. Well, when you teach them the structures, so I have a handout that has every step to the two minute connection or the 60 second relay break. So it's structured, it's organized, it's not a free-for-all and there's and you always have to tell when the teacher goes so on the 60 second late break the teacher goes last but on the two minute connection the teacher goes first you always have to tell when the teacher shares so the whole point is there's structures organized and all of a sudden hey we've quote unquote killed our four minutes learning about what movie we would change the ending to wow that was pretty awesome right and then they go about their business so to be honest with you i've learned over the years to navigate around the uh excuses or reasons why teachers can't build relationships. But I will tell you, if the leadership doesn't support it, then I don't have a chance. It doesn't matter how much, how powerful my tool is or how little time it takes. Without that leadership's per power and permission, we got no chance. Yeah, no, I completely agree. As somebody that was in the, in the classroom for a while, you know, um, you do what your leader tells you to do. Um, for the most part, sometimes you just close your, your door and you do what needs to be done. But I would say the vast majority of us, um, you know, we, we're people pleaser, most of us. Um, so I'll tell you, um, obviously, I'm an RCL disciple. Um, I have been following Kevin Curtis and um, Relationship Center Learning for quite some time. So I love it. I love everything about it. I am a um, firm, firm, firm believer in the relationship piece. And and I know a lot of people out there have been listening, and, I, and I'm pretty sure you've you've made some converts. So if there are anybody out there that wants to get a hold of you, that wants to learn more 
about RCL, uh, maybe wants to invite you into their school or, or maybe just wants to, you know, pick your brain. How can folks get a hold of you, Kevin? Absolutely. Well, our website is the easiest. It's just rclfirst.com. So RCL first, right? Um, my email is just simple. K, first initial K, last name Curtis. So K-C-U-R-T-I-S at rclfirst.com. Um, if you want to listen to a little bit more in depth about some of these pieces that I've talked about, um, I've got 70 plus episodes of the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, right? For me, um, my phone number, I'll put it out there, 210-232-1124. Um, you can call me, text me, email me. Um, I love talking about kids, discipline. We didn't even really talk about it. I offer a whole different training for alternatives to suspensions called differentiated discipline, where consequences and accountability collide for administrators. Um, but all I do is come to school districts and train, coach, implement, and support. How do we put relationships at the center of learning? And that includes learning on behavior and accountability, which is on the responsive side of this model. And then last, I would just say is if you want to meet more people like Ryan and myself who believe are disciples of this, right? <laughs> February, February 18th and 19th, we're having our uh, RCO conference. It's where we put relationships back at the center of learning, living, and leading. It's where we bring communities together. So I would invite you to come to Irving, Texas, right in the middle of Dallas, Fort Worth. It's, it's, my hashtag or my 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 slag is it's the two day conference that only costs you a one day sub. You only it's a Friday Saturday conference, so you only have to miss Me. one day of school, right? Fly into Dallas Fort area. Come check us out February 18th and 19th. I think it's going to be an amazing conference because not only are we going to talk about restorative practices and relationship centered learning, but I've got six keynote speakers. I've got Michael Jr. the comedian who's an amazing speaker. We use his why video more than anything else. Um, I've got Jim Sporletter from Paper Tigers, Adversity Childhood Experiences, talking about ACEs. Yes. We've got Eric Butler showing his documentary circles and doing some breakout sessions and Q&A about that. I've got Dr. Kimberly McLeod coming to talk about equity, diversity, and cultural awareness. Then I have Jerry Brooks. The Jerry Brooks. I got laugh. We're having a laugh with lunch with Jerry on Saturday afternoon. And then uh, Principal Caffelli. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got six keynote speakers that I believe have such a powerful message, but then we'll also have over 40 breakout sessions where people can come and listen to other people who can navigate around trauma, ACEs, um, SEL, um, restorative practices, relational practices. I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're just trying to create a, a unified platform where people can come together and share their passion and ask questions and, and go back to their school districts with ideas of how to make a big difference, putting relationships first. Very, very cool. Probably going to have to uh, come up with a uh, sales pitch for my wife um, to let Laura give me some money to go down to Texas. Cause I, I'll be honest, I really would love to be there. Um, I'm going to see what I could do. All right, brother. Well, I look forward to having you in Texas again, just another earlier opportunity than the summer vacation. But I, I believe putting you in the room with this like-minded people, man, we have averaged 700 people, to uh, 700 in attendance for our conferences. And we've never had six keynote speakers before. We've only had two. So um, we've had Ron Clark, Joe Dombrowski, Joe Beckman, Michael Bonner. We've had some great ones in the past. But again, I feel like this year offering six speakers to hear six different messages. But I, th I feel like the 
messages that they're bringing are exactly what we need to hear in education right now. That's exactly right. What we need to hear. You are exactly right. Kevin, my friend, um, it has been a lot of fun as it always is talking to you. Um, I tell you, it's, it's been nice to have you on my podcast. It's been nice to be able to share, you know, something I personally truly believe in. Um, I, you know, I'd laugh, but, um, I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. Uh, we've been in this thing a couple years together. Um, I appreciate you. Like I, like I said, and, uh, thank you very much for coming on the big ed idea podcast. You're welcome, brother. Uh, again, honored to just come full circle, to excited and, and, and just blessed to be the, the last uh, guest of, of 2021. So I would just tell your listeners, right? Like, um, I want to wish you a happy new year. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, despite anything in itself, you know, I tell people I'm not a salesman. I, I didn't come on the show today to pitch for, to bring business. I, I wanted to bring awareness. Yeah. You know, I, I think I, I talked to many people who ultimately may be in consulting or entrepreneur. And I tell people all the time, like, um, I don't want to make money. I want to make a difference. I want to make an impact in as many schools as I can. And, um, you know, we talk about ending with a quote. And I, I, I lean into this quote more than any other quote in our training. And it's James Comer's quote. No significant learning occurs without a significant relationship. And if our school leaders... I want our school leaders to listen up. If our school leaders want significant scores, if you want that, then we need significant learning. In order to get significant learning, we're going to need significant relationships. There's three parts of that equation, and I'm ready to take education to incorporate that third part and put this formula together and give our educators and our students a chance to be successful and start working with the 2022 playbook moving forward. Goosebumps, my friend. Kevin, I love you. I'm going to um, wind us down like I always do. Um, so tonight I've got a quote. Dare to dream, then decide to do it. And so with that, I'm going to end this season one of the Big Ed Idea podcast. Like I always do in the immortal words of the best grandpa a guy ever had, the big John, John Janoski. Um, until next time, I will see you in the funny paper. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion and together let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.